Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to take a second to talk to you about 12 Strides and 12 Group Norms for Liberty and Recovery. This is a book by former guest of the show, Asher Azo. And what it is, is a deep dive into libertarianism and 12-step philosophy. Not only do you get to learn about how to apply those principles to your very own life, but you also get to see what it looked like for the recovery community going through lockdowns and the COVID hysteria. Um, Also included at the end of the book is a fictional story about a man in recovery searching for his own son. Um, You can find this book on Amazon, paperback, or it's also available on Kindle. I will include the link to the book in the show notes page for this episode. So please go check it out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And my apologies that I have not had anything out to y'all in a while. Um, Bad news. It's probably going to be like that. Um, Once upon a time, I had adequate free time to really carve out on Saturday evenings and, you know, be on the lookout throughout the week for new guests to bring on the show. But um, just going to be honest, man, it's really tough right now. Um doing the things that I'm doing for out of harm's way, uh, the needle exchange and doing that work, you know, obviously takes precedence. Um, we've been running for a little over two months and we just celebrated 40 overdose reversals as a result of our kids. So, you know, the work that I'm doing over there that we are doing, it's not just me, you know, there's some amazing people that have hopped on board to help, uh, help make this thing happen. You know, the work that we're doing over there is, is really important. But um, that's not to say, like, this isn't a, a dead deal. Like, I'm still going to absolutely have content. It just it just might not be every single week, you know, like, like it had been. Um, but I will be revisiting this often and as much as possible. I'll tell you, the, the real shitty thing is, is that, like, I've really wanted to start bringing on more harm reduction people. But, um... Typically, that crowd doesn't like individuals, you know, who express libertarian ideals and philosophy. And and I don't think it's because they have a nuanced understanding, mind you. I think that a lot of them have had shitty run-ins with libertarian-leaning people online or, you know, some fucking boomer red hat, you know, that was like, oh, I'm libertarian, but, you know, have really shitty takes after that. And so, you know, I, I can't fault them. Um, it just, it's it's a little bit of a barrier, but I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, the longer that we stay in and that out of harm's way continues to do the work and, and see through the mission that, uh, you know, that I can hopefully change some perspectives, you know, and bring a little bit of nuance there to, uh, to some individuals who might not have heard it otherwise. So um, anyways, that's that's the lowdown. That's kind of where I've been at, what I've been up to. But um, I got a great conversation in store for y'all today. Uh, this is Ash. Ash is making his return to the show. I mean, we started out talking about, um, you know, some of the finer points of his book. Um, we've all, he, We also talked about kind of some of the issues that he's having with the publisher, which Man, uh, if you or anybody else that you know um, has any influence 
with champion books or, you know, uh, being libertarian at large, like let them get back to, to Ash. Like it's, it's kind of fucked up, man. Um, that man poured his heart and soul into making that book reality and he can't even get anybody to, to hit him back. But, um, anyways, you know, I'll let him talk about that. Um, we also got into current events and, and also just, we kind of did what we do best and that is just ramble and, and, and go through some topics, but it's always a pleasure. Uh, I love this man very much. Um, you know, he's, he's a part of my recovery family and I am, I am the better for it. So, uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring on Ash. All right. And I'm here with Ash and I had to go ahead and hit record because we're getting into some heavy shit. But first, Ash, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic. I am uh, feeling absolutely amazing. Fatherhood is a absolute blessing. I am also more tired than I've ever been in my entire life. And it's just this <laughs> constant draining tiredness, you know, exhaustion, whatever you want to call it. I mean, uh, I, I don't, you know, my, so I, I had a son nine months ago. Uh, he's happy. He's healthy. My wife is happy and healthy. Uh, of course, the two of us, we are extremely sleep deprived, um, you know, but the, the kid's healthy. So, so what can I complain about, you know? Um, and I just, I feel absolutely amazing even when I physically, you know, don't, uh, it doesn't quite match up, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, man. That, uh, that initial, I mean, the funny thing is, is like before I became a parent, I remember everybody like the going, you know, saying is like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to know what sleep is. Yeah. And you know, the gravity of that doesn't set in until about two to three months in and you're like, oh God, yeah, this is a new way of life now. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, to be fair, my, my wife takes the brunt of it, um, you know, she, she will get up every few hours and like feed him and nurse him and everything until he's, he's able to go back to sleep. We're slowly, uh, making it so that way, you know, uh, you know, eating is not a, uh, pre prerequisite for, uh, going to sleep, you know, comfortably or whatever. We don't, we don't want our son to be in a food coma every time he has to go to bed, but, uh, right. you know, we're working on it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, but new parents, first time, and just you know, couldn't be happier. We we uh, were very blessed. We were able to go on vacation a few weeks ago, and uh, took him out to the beach and dipped his toes in in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, we were able to bring our family dog, which is amazing because anytime we've ever gone out of town, we have to like ask somebody to dog sit for us. So to be able to actually take our dog with us was um, just amazing to have the whole family there. So. Yeah, that's huge, man. Huge. Yeah. Two, two wonderful people became parents, man. And I just, I can't wait to see what all, you know, all, all those moments that pop up in your life and all those benchmarks, man, along the way. That's the good shit. Yeah, all a gift of recovery. My wife and I are both in recovery and, and this either wouldn't be happening or it would be a complete train wreck if we were both still, you know, drinking and using and all that stuff. So, yeah, and, you know, th uh, recovery has been very, very kind to, to the both of us. So for sure, man. So um, where do you want to start at? Do you want to pick up on the conversation we were having before or circle back around to that? You want to start on the book? Like what do you want to do? 
Well, I, I do want to talk about the book and I want to talk a bit about the publisher, but um, you know, you had said you wanted to talk a little bit about um, we, we were having a conversation about, uh, you know, I, I have this sense of impending doom. Like I'm totally trying to be like white pilled for my kid as much as possible. Totally trying to be white pilled for my kid and my family as much as possible and everything like that. But I just have this overarching sense of doom, uh, you know, going on. Um, so in my household, we we don't watch regular news. I always put on the Ron Paul Liberty Report, and I'm always impressed with how he's able to like stay positive and and everything like that. And I try to emulate that um, for my family and for other people that I talk to about this this liberty stuff and uh, you know uh, economics and and all that jazz. But I mean, I tell you what, it is becoming more and more difficult. You know, because it's funny, if if I take a look at everything going on in the world with the, the economy tanking and, uh, you know, basically soon to be hyperinflation and, and all this other stuff and everything like that, it starts to make sense when I sit there and I'm like, oh, this is intentional. This is deliberate. They are trying to ruin everything. So everyone's got to rely on the system and whatever global, you know, new world order basically comes out of it. And and the catalyst for that was COVID and the lockdowns and, and all of that stuff. I mean, the World Economic Forum, they wrote a book about it and they actually called the damn thing the Great Reset. You know, and and it's it's hysterical because if you even mention that, you're some, you know, wide-eyed conspiracy theorist and like they wrote a damn book about it for crying out loud. Right. You know, so I, I just... I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to just like kind of stay optimistic. Cause like, I've, I've got a kid, you know, if I can't be optimistic for my kid, then, then, then who the hell is going to be, you know, right. if I'm a sad ass, he's going to pick up on that and then he's going to grow up to be a sad ass. And, and I don't, I don't want that, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, and, uh, I don't know, man. Know. I think, I think you look at, if we look at the broad, Let's look at like, you know, the, the timeline of human history, governments, especially corrupt, tyrannical governments have risen and fallen. And I think humanity is, I mean, it's not in a good spot right now, but we've been in a lot worse spots. You sure. Know? Yeah. And, and I don't know, man, I think even, even in with the event, like the, the human spirit marches on man and human and life will find a way. You know, uh, I think the only way that that doesn't happen is if everybody goes to turning keys and pushing buttons on a global scale. Yeah. And, and, but that's the thing about it is that we are so close to that right now. I mean, it's, there's, you know, the war in, in, uh, you know, with, with Russia is dying down. And like, I, I had said this at at, uh, the, a few dad roundtables ago where I was just like, as far as I'm concerned, I think. United States pretty much already is at war uh, with with Russia. You know, NATO is already. I mean, they've been declared uh, an enemy of of Russia. You know, yeah. and and now the whole Taiwan thing is starting to ramp up and everything like that. It's like, you know, I mean, I don't think that the world, you know, the the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum crowd. I don't I don't think that their plan will succeed because economically it just, it's not viable, nor are human beings, a bunch of ants, you know, we have free will. We don't just all necessarily line up and listen to, 
you know, what, you know, whoever it is that says that they're in charge, like, especially us libertarians and, you know, and caps and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so one day the Soviet Union just fell, you know, um, and that was the probably the other major totalitarian regime in the past, like 150 years. Um, you know, the Soviet Union started you know, in the, the, the first part of the 20th century, and it didn't make it to the end of the 20th century. So less than a hundred years, you had the most totalitarian, brutal regime in human history. And that's not to say that, that Hitler and the Nazis weren't evil. Of course they are, but I'm just saying, you know, 200 million people dead, you know, between China and the USSR. And then um, it, one day it just collapses and their entire empire, if you will, you know, consisted of about a third of the globe. Um, now we're talking about an empire, uh, you know, with the, with the, 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 the current like globalist, you know, regime or whatever is, is two, three times that size, four times that size. Yeah. You know, so, so even though it took 80 years for it to collapse with the Soviet union, it did collapse. My fear is that, you know, what what's going into motion now isn't going to collapse for generations. And I'm talking like our great, 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 great grandchildren. You know, we're going to have entire generations in our family lines that aren't even going to know Liberty. You know, that's, yeah. that's my fear. That's the fear. That's what I don't want to see happen. And, and, you know, I'm uh, just doing, doing my part of it, doing what I can. So, you know, Hey, I wrote the 12 strides and the 12 group norms, you know, there it is. There <laughs> it is, man. I mean, but that, but that is 100% what it's all about is finding that thing that you're good at and that you're passionate about and using that to illuminate the world around you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I did. That's, that's been my piece. And of course I'm, I'm engaged with, you know, the libertarian party and <clears throat> I have not jumped ship yet. Um, despite the craziness that's coming out of, uh, uh, certain certain state affiliates, uh, you know, I uh, I'm definitely between uh, the sober caucus and the Mises caucus. Like those are the two like you know uh, groups that I do the most work with within the the LP. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I even approve of you know uh, uh, some of the edgier messaging. Um, and it's not even necessarily because I may or may not disagree with it. It's got more to do with, I just understand the optics of the situation and the way like normal people, you know, look at stuff like that. But I mean, I'm staying on the ship. I'm staying on the ship for sure, because I'm, I'm you're not going to catch me voting for, you know, uh, the Democrats or the Republicans or anything like that. It, it's going to be, you know, whoever my local, you know, uh, big L candidates are. Um, for sure. You know, and, and it's going to be me doing whatever groundwork I can do in the trenches kind of work that I can do for for that kind of thing. But um, anyways, no, my my talent was writing a book. And so I wrote the 12 strides and the 12 norms for liberty and recovery. And uh, I've got a copy sitting here. And wouldn't you know it, I turn to the back and I start reading in this two part book. Author Asher Azo walks us through the 12 strides and 12 norms of both recovery and our place in the liberty movement. This work will guise you. That's a typo there. There's a typo on the back cover of the book. Mm. So this is something I wanted to talk about. Um, for those of you out there that are interested in my book, The 12 Strides and 12 Norms, it is available on Amazon. You can get it. 
uh, in e-reader format, either Kindle or whatever other reader you have, or you can buy a paper copy and the paper copy, let's see here. I'd love to read something out of this. Let me just flip a few pages. Oh, look, there's no page numbers. Hmm. <laughs> And there's typos in there too, so I'm I'm being I'm being facetious here. I'm, uh, you know, I uh, I was working with uh, Champion Books, and I had an editor I was working with. I won't say his name, and uh, any of the typos that are in here, like maybe I handed the original script that way to to the publisher, and you know, I'd imagine the editors would go through it and everything like that. But I mean, there's typos all throughout the book. There's missing page numbers. Apparently, if you get the e-reader version, you don't have to worry about that because it's got the pages set up for the e-reader. But I mean, a week after it got published, my main editor and the sole point of contact I had with Champion Books uh he resigned from the company and i have barely heard anything since i've i've gotten i've sent probably about a dozen emails gotten one or two back from some anonymous person within whoever it is that that's answering uh the email over with champion books uh but they haven't done any promotional stuff for me uh either on social media or on their website and champion books is actually a subdivision of uh being libertarian the famous being libertarian page on uh facebook and twitter and all the other social media stuff they write articles constantly um lately i think most of what they've been doing is uh just posting memes and everything but i haven't even had an opportunity to go through the entire book um and i haven't gotten a hundred percent i haven't gotten feedback from anyone that has either at this point Makes it even tougher because I did write the book anonymously. So, you know, what recourses do I really have? I risk exposing myself, possibly getting in trouble with my work, you know, possibly getting doxxed, uh, you know, and then myself, my new kid and uh, my wife are, you know, uh, down to one one income instead of two incomes, Yeah, you know, and uh, bills be expensive with hyperinflation. So, uh, yeah, yep. <clears throat> so I, I, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to be getting a commission or, uh, you know, any payment from uh, the book or anything like that. But I mean, I didn't write it to make a profit or any of that sort of stuff. I wrote it because I felt it was something that that needed to be uh, said. Yeah. So, you know, um, the short version of the 12 strides, the 12 strides are basically a fill in for the 12 steps. The 12 norms are the 12 uh, traditions. And there's a, there's a few major sections in here, and I'll just kind of uh, gloss over some of it. Um, like I said, you know, I do encourage you to go ahead and order, uh, you know, a copy off of Amazon, um, you know, and, and even if the money does go to Champion Books, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's still, uh, you know, what I wrote is what I wrote, and, and I wrote it for a reason, and I'm hoping it gets around enough. And it, the, the main point is that it changes some lives and it helps some people, um, you know, so... Uh, First, I start by talking about, you know, where recovery culture has sort of been infiltrated in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and I talk about, you know, the influence of big pharma and the war on drugs predominantly. But then there's some of the culture war stuff that's also even infiltrated in it, you know, which isn't to bash anybody or any particular group of people or anything like that. But it's like, you know, the primary purpose is to not use drugs. The primary purpose is to, you know, not drink alcohol. The primary purpose is to like 
you know, try to help other people sort their lives out so they don't die. You know, like, can we worry about all the other stuff at some other point? Like there's a million other forums out there to get across whatever, you know, cultural, socio-political issue out there. Like, can we at least just have these spaces specifically for people that are like on the verge of like death and like afterwards, like if you want to invite them out to some other thing, like maybe that makes sense. Like I don't walk into a 12 step meeting and start preaching libertarianism. Which is funny because in this book, what I've identified is how much overlap there actually is between the 12-step philosophy um, and, and libertarian philosophy. You know, so I go through the, the strides, which are the steps. Um, and then in, you know, part two, the solution for the communities, I start talking about the group norms, which are basically the traditions. And, and I think I've talked about this a few different times uh, through various episodes with you. Um, you know, uh, Bill Wilson, when he was writing the 12 traditions, uh, he basically, you know, he didn't want to do it. I, I get the feeling like from, from what I know, historically speaking, I don't think he wanted to do it. I think he just, he had sort of patchwork solutions from different AA groups that would write him from all over the country. And, uh, you know, every time that they proposed a problem, he would propose a solution. And eventually it just got to the point where it was so overwhelming that, you know, he came up with the 12 traditions to help manage the groups. And what are the 12 traditions when somebody actually reads through them? Well, it's basically a constitution of sorts. And with the way the group is set up, I mean, it's a democratic constitutional republic. That's the way the groups are set up. You have the highest level of liberty with the individual and then at the group level, you know, the actual meetings themselves. And then as you get your way up to either the area level or the intergroup level or the regional level, you know, like power diminishes as you go up. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's set up in a way where it's as it, it has as little restriction as possible. And even then, it still couldn't be claimed to be a government anyways, because there's no monopoly on force. Anyone that doesn't want to participate, you can always just leave and start your own thing. Right. And hell, I, I've done that back in the day. I had meetings. I There were meetings, uh, a lot of meetings around me, and none of them fit my schedule. And uh, I was working in the restaurant biz back then. This was like 2010, 2011. I had just gotten out of jail. And, uh, you know, I had uh, two and a half years uh, clean. Um, and, uh, I was going back to school, I was working in the restaurant. I maybe slept three hours a night. I drank way more energy drinks than I probably should have. And, uh, you know, one night, uh, you know, I'm with a buddy of mine who's also in recovery and I'm like, I need to get to a meeting. Like, I don't care where I have to go. I'll go to, uh, you know, a city that's an hour or two away just to go to like a, you know, a a meeting at 2 AM. And he was like, well, dude, why don't you just start your own meeting? And so what I did. You know, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, for the first few months, it was only a handful of people. Um, but uh, after six months, we had people from driving from like hours away to get to this meeting to see like, oh, there's a midnight smoking meeting for young people uh, Wednesday night and, and you know, on the weekend and like stuff like that. And so like we had like 40 people filling the back of this like dingy internet cafe it was insane fuck yeah um, dude those so, are the I mean, best kind of meetings too like ones that like grow like that oh yeah i mean because you got you got 
I don't know, man. We we have one uh, locally that started out real small, and then it just blew up, man. Once the halfway houses in an area get it get in on board and they're all meeting there, you got a lit fucking meeting. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> we we've got that going on right now. So like one of my home groups on Thursday night, um, you know, was in a, a metropolitan area, and they had like a vaccine mandate to be able to go anywhere in the city. Like you had to show your vaccine card to go to the meeting. And there were a bunch of us that were just like, fuck that. We're not doing that. And so we started a meeting in another, uh, you know, jurisdiction where there was no mandate for any of that sort of stuff. And even if there was, we would have met somewhere on private property. But we've been doing that ever since. So we're meeting in this new location. It's an unlisted meeting. And like, it's funny. So get this. We started an unlisted meeting during the height of the lockdowns. And everyone loved it, including all the people that eventually, when they did get vaccinated, when they did get their vax cards, and they were willing to display that to be able to go to a meeting, which I don't even know how many newcomers that probably fucked over. Yeah. Um, they went to, you know, they they were like, okay, well, where when are the rest of you guys going to be coming back? And we were just sort of like, well, we're not. You know, like we have a, you know, problem with this like that's not the way that this fellowship is supposed to run and, and i go back to this idea of like outside issues once again yeah um so so you know we started our meeting we started getting complaints from other people like well how are you going to reach out to the newcomer how are you gonna you know we're, we miss you guys we really wish you'd come back you know blah 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 acting like we're the weird ones we're the ones that aren't normal or anything like that guess what you know not only um, are we up to like 20, 25 people when we started with like maybe 10 or less? Um, but now we've actually started a step study to happen, take place before uh, the meeting and stuff like that. And last uh, Thursday, I mean, we had like 25 people like crammed into this tiny ass room just to, you know, like a, about a dozen or so to do steps beforehand. And then like the other the rest of them um, for the meeting afterwards. And like, we're attracting newcomers and people from halfway houses. And like, you know, people, uh, I, I know people um, that I've meeting them for the first time in the rooms. They got, they got sober or clean going to meetings on zoom, mm -hmm. yeah, which is just absolutely insane to me. And God yeah. bless them. And that's amazing. You know, I'm so happy that, but that's all stuff that's happening in spite of the lockdowns. That's it. That's all happening in spite of, the restrictions or the safety measures or any of that sort of stuff. You know, I, I go back to, uh, you know, when, when you talk about uh, Alcoholics Anonymous starting in 1935, what major event impacted alcoholics in the decade or so prior uh, to 1935? Oh, yeah, that's right. Prohibition. Yeah. You know, so AA is this thing that evolved. Um, you know, of course, in response to a disease, but also in response to the fact that like, you know, so many things in, 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 you know, the social sphere were just so horribly affected by government policy. Right. You know, you had people drinking, you know, gin made in bathtubs and like you had like organized crime. Like, I mean, think about all the ways that people are like killing each other over drugs and fentanyl and, and everything today or whatever. You had all of that stuff going on just simply for alcohol. So yeah. yes, this severely impacted the alcoholic and a bunch of people, you know, uh, latched on to Bill's idea after he met Bob and, 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 uh, you know, Abby and, and, and managed to like stay sober for, for a while. And like all of this stuff almost never fucking happened. So anyways, I talk about the, the, the group norms. I do talk about norm number seven, which is, you know, the only, um, 
you know, we're, we're self-supporting and everything like that. And I apply that more on like a personal level and everything, you know, I talk about Bill Wilson's uh, history with anarchism and stuff like that. And then I have a note to the families, which directly addresses like codependency and stuff. So part three is a fictional story. And this is, was easily my favorite part of the book to read. Um, or, you know, to, to write actually. So, uh, let me rephrase that. Um, this is a post-apocalyptic story, uh, you know, of a guy who's clean and every single person that's in the story is, uh, based on somebody I know from my life, you know? And so he talks about his recovery network and he's out there and he's looking for his son because the courts took his son, you know, cause he, he refused to get vaccinated uh, you know, and his wife died from a vaccine injury. And and what this really resulted out of is I had one chapter that I began where like an AA meeting or an NA meeting is getting raided by a SWAT team for refusing to follow the COVID lockdowns. And, um, you know, my wife was like, that's really dark. That's really messed up. You should continue that. And so I did. And, uh, you know, I wrote about a guy who lost his wife to to the vaccine and uh, you know, his son was taken by the courts. Like, think about if, if the whole, you know, COVID lockdowns, and I say this with all due respect to the parts of the country that are still facing like, you know, mandates and all this other stuff. I know it's, it's eased up in a lot of places, but it hasn't eased up everywhere. Um, and so I, I, I definitely feel for those of you out there in the country that are still struggling with this stuff and, and, you know, move to a free part of the country if you can, if not stay and fight and do whatever you can to, to, you know, within legal means to, 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 you know, try to, to, to get around the system because it's unjust and it's fascist. But uh, anyways, um, you know, I, I just, could you imagine if, uh, things hadn't happened the way they happened. Mm. Like, could you imagine if things just went more authoritarian? Could you imagine if they had instituted, you know, COVID checkpoints, like the same way they do sobriety checkpoints and stuff like that, like making sure your Vax card is up to date. Have you had your 12th booster yet? You know, like, oh, you haven't? Oh, okay, well, you're not allowed to drive your car anymore. And wouldn't you know it, some of the stuff with this, uh, you know, um, uh, um, environmentalism, rabid environmentalism, because believe it or not, I actually care about the environment. I just think that that term has been hijacked at this point. I mean, all this carbon reduction stuff, Yeah, you know, one of yeah. these days they're going to be able to shut down your EV because you've gone over your carbon footprint limit. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like, like that. I think you and I are probably both in the same boat on that one. Cause it's like, bro, I, I'm, I love the outdoors. I, I oh, yeah. love going fishing. I love, let me tell you. So I live in Oklahoma city, right? Mm -hmm. All the waterways around here are fucking trash. And that's because a lot of, uh, you know, sewage runoff, uh, mm -hmm. just pollution. There's trash everywhere. It looks like shit. That is not ideal for, <laughs> for the environment. No. However, I'm also not cool with the Gestapo being able to fucking put a boot in your ass because, you know, you, like you said, you, you charged your car for an hour longer this month than you should have yeah. or your, your carbon footprint is going. So, I mean, I, I feel like just like everything else in life, you know, um, there's a balance, but. Yeah, Absolutely. Dude. 
I, I think, and I think the market, you know, and it was the funniest thing to me too, is because like, as the narrative was shifting from uh, COVID, 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 you know, uh, vaccine, 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 vaccine. Well, I, let me throw masks in there in the middle between those two. Uh, and then, uh, you know, for, to see it go from that to, um, Ukraine and, and Russia, as well as, you know, the, the, uh, the carbon footprint, like environmentalism stuff. Like I was, just, I just started laughing when people started, when, when people within our circle started saying, oh, they're going to use all the, the COVID regime stuff to try to do like this global warming. They don't even say global warming, climate change stuff. You know, and I hope saying those words doesn't uh, doesn't get your your uh, your podcast flagged with whatever. But you know, <laughs> whether they, you know, so I mean, look, I mean, just even mentioning words like gets you flagged by the authoritarian, like dystopian, fascist, fucking wrong think police. So I, I mean, you know, when they said that, like, I grew up in the eighties. I was I was born in the eighties. I grew up in the nineties, and I remember believing that acid rain and quicksand was going to kill everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like, this is like the third time I think in, in my lifetime, they've like gone severe, super environmentalist. First, it was like acid rain's going to kill us all. And that was like the early nineties. And like, I was a fan of like the Highlander movies growing up. And I think the plot of the second one was that acid rain had like destroyed most of the earth or something. And then like, you know, global warming was going to be a thing. And then they were like, oh no, we were wrong about that. It's going to be global cooling. Now they don't really want to say whether it's going to get hotter or get colder. So now they just have climate change as like a catch-all phrase for all of this shit. And it's just, you know, like I care about the environment. I, I want the environment to, like I want, I have a kid. I want the planet to be a wonderful place for my kid. But you cannot convince me that that's going to happen in any other uh, type of environment than a free market because you know I'll, I'll give you an example so like there was a, a pre-pandemic I think it was United Airlines I think it was United Airlines there was a viral video of like they oversold the flight and there was a viral video of like this doctor this heart surgeon or something like that refused to give up his seat but he had won the lottery for the person that was going to give up his seat because they overbooked this flight and he was like I've got a surgery to perform or something the next day and, and so, uh, you know, there's a viral video of this guy getting the shit kicked out of him by TSA and getting dragged off of this flight. And he's like protesting it as it's all happening and everything. And, and when the full story came out and everything like that, and people saw this video, United's stock dropped like a rock over the course of the next week. And that is something, no piece of government regulation, uh, you know, uh, no matter how authoritarian in scope uh, can do. So, I mean, you know, if, if you want to um, save the environment, I think the free market's the way to do it, where you, you know, you convince people that this is actually, you know, something that they want and you attach it to the, 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 the chain of supply and demand. But I mean, the other piece to it is this, is like, if you actually care about the environment and the carbon footprint, you know, there's one big energy source that, uh, is pretty much carbon neutral and could provide us all of the, uh, clean energy we need for, generations and generations and generations and they won't touch it that's a part of the book too mm -hmm. nuclear yeah i mean if we just simply went instead it's funny because if we were ever actually attacked 
with an EMP or something like that, we are actually in, in the most precarious spot possible because of lobbying of like, uh, you know, big oil, natural gas, coal, all those major industries that have basically bought the government and use it as a strong arm, like the whole energy industrial complex um, has left us in the worst place possible because we have uh, a handful. I don't know how many of them uh, there are across the United States. I did some research on this for my, for, for the book and for the fictional story aspect of it. But like we have a bunch of nuclear power plants in this country that are walkaway safe and that's great. And that means that if anything ever happens, if all the workers never were able to touch anything for it, you know, the grid were to go down, those reactors would be self-contained and self-sealing and you wouldn't have any sort of background radiation leaking out into the environment outside of the plant. But then we have a whole bunch of nuclear power plants that are not walk-away safe whatsoever. And you're talking about the kind of situation where if those plants aren't maintained, they could, you know, melt down and overload. And then you've got dozens of Chernobyls potentially all across the country. Right. You know? um, and like, you know, that's a, that's a pretty out there scenario. Like a lot of things would have to go wrong in order for that to happen. But like, when you compare that to like gen three and gen four, small modular nuclear reactors and stuff like that, if you have like one of those for a town where it's not big enough that if something went wrong, it wouldn't actually do a whole hell of a lot of damage anyways, because of how tiny it is like, you know, yeah, that's all being hamstrung because of like regulation. And you had um, a lot of it is uh, basically physical security me measures. A lot of these nuclear power plants, I think all of them in the United States, at least, they're all designed in a way to be able to repel a small army. Well, what yeah. small army is invading the United States in order to take over a nuclear power plant so they can do what? sell uranium to iran or some crap like that like it's yeah. ridiculous yeah. you know but at the same time these nuclear power plants guess what they're not really cost efficient uh because of that because of having to keep up with all the regulatory hurdles and stuff like that i mean you have uh you have generations the newest generations of nuclear reactors can run off of the nuclear waste that was produced uh in the middle of the 20th century so all the you know i there's a this uh, video game franchise you may know about it metal gear solid oh yeah i'm a huge fan of the metal gear franchise but the first game on the playstation it was actually like the third game in the series but it's the first game on the in on the playstation it's the one that really popularized it and they have a bunch of um this was back in the day when a lot of video games had like some serious like you know global uh life message you know type stuff and 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 one of the big themes behind it was like this idea of like nuclear deterrence and getting rid of all the nuclear weapons and everything and i think scott horton actually just wrote a book about this i'd love to get my hands on, on a copy of that whenever that comes out hotter than the sun i believe um but in, in any event you know this this whole idea of like um, you know, there, there's parts of it where they talk about like all the nuclear waste and stuff like that, that's just sitting around or whatever, and like seeping into the environment and everything like from dismantled nuclear missiles and, and other stuff like that. Like all of that crap, all of that material is actually usable for these, um, you know, small modular nuclear reactors. So like, so we're at a place now where that stuff that's polluting the environment and, and nuclear is probably the worst pollution you could possibly have that's man-made. Um, the fact that that stuff can actually be taken and then cleaned up and then used to create fresh energy that's clean, carbon neutral, uh, um, you know, like 
not polluting the environment and like able to allow like entire communities and people groups to like thrive globally. Yeah. And we're not doing that. You know, that's yeah. not a free market r- response. That's a, um, a, a fascist corporatist, um, you know, strong arm uh, by government response. You know, it's, did uh, you, uh, did you so watch anyway. the Chernobyl uh, series on HBO? I loved it. I loved it so much. Dude, I, I did watch it. Yeah. I had no, like, and I, I don't know how close to reality that is, but just seeing the, the level of incompetence that went into that disaster, you know, mm-hmm. what, what caused it was yep. eye opening because I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, you know, around here, it was kind of taught like, you know, nuclear is dangerous because of this. And it was just like, a nuclear reactor up and blew up just on its own, you know, like unimpeded. But no, there was a lot of fail safes that got overstepped just to make that disaster happen. Yeah, I mean the the miniseries on HBO is I don't I couldn't tell you how much of it is accurate. I'm not a nuclear engineer. From what I have, I I've talked to some people that 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 do know a thing or two about it, but even just looking at that situation from 30,000 feet for a second. Okay. So a nuclear power plant melts down and pollutes a large percentage of Europe. And if the Soviet union hadn't sacrificed, what was it? 10,000, a hundred thousand of its own citizens to clean up the mess. It would have eventually like polluted the entire world and turned everything into an uninhabitable nuclear wasteland, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that's your that's your basic scenario here for a second. When everyone talks about Chernobyl melting down, what they don't talk about is that that was a completely state controlled, state constructed facility, as opposed to something being created in a free market. Right. So again, even with all of this nuclear fear that's out there, and they always throw Chernobyl out there as this anti-nuclear thing, and they fuel all these not-in-my-backyard NIMBY types and everything, right? Yeah. Um, And they always throw Chernobyl out there as the example. So it is basically the state and the corporatist fascist elements of the energy industrial complex, right, that are throwing out this example of a state-run, state-controlled nuclear power plant that melted down. If the Soviet Union didn't exist, if if if, um, you know, uh, uh, that town Pripyat and everything like that, if that was operating in a free market system with no government uh, controls or anything like that, do you think that that nuclear power plant, uh, uh, you know, would have been built to better standards that were better suited to like free market response. Cause you know, your stock tends to go down if your, your nuclear power plant like blows up. I mean, look at TEPCO, <laughs> look at TEPCO in Japan with Fukushima and everything like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and, and I understand that that Fukushima is nowhere near on the level that Chernobyl was, but like the quality of the nuclear power plant in Fukushima was so much higher than, than anything through that, that, you know, that was at Chernobyl. And that's not uh, just due to the fact that technology has advanced technology advances in spite of government impediment, you know? Right. Um, so anyways, Chernobyl always gets used as an example. And, and, and I grew up with the exact same thing. Nuclear is dangerous. I would feel scared if there was a nuclear power plant in my backyard, but it's an irrational fear to have, right. especially with these smaller, newer, 
nuclear power plants that are that are safe i mean you know and then of course one of my favorite video game franchises is the fallout franchise so like of oh, course I'm, yeah yeah i i and and funny enough i may or may not have mentioned this to you before but my favorite movie as a little kid which i had no business watching was terminator 2 Nice. And so I saw that when I was like four or five years old. And then for the next three years, I had nightmares of like burning playgrounds and nuclear holocaust and <laughs> stuff like that. So I remember, man, back when that movie came out, that was the first rated R movie I ever saw in my life. I, we we had a uh, a VHS that we rented. We rented the VHS player. Mm-hmm. OK, because we bought Betamax because we were fucking idiots. We bought Betamax in our household, and then you know, obviously, that went the way of the Buffalo. So yeah. before we could have our own uh, VHS or VCR, uh, we we had to rent one, and then we rented uh, Terminator Two. And I remember watching that man, and that was just like, oh my god! It was I felt like such a badass. I think I don't remember how old I was, man. That was but, such uh, a great movie. I I watched it like two weeks ago, the special edition version. Did love you? Oh yeah, I love that movie. That's I still think that that's that's probably the top three best action movies of all time. Mm. Um, I would say that Terminator Two, The Matrix, and uh, let's see here, um, third action movie. I don't know, probably Die Hard. You know, I'm a fan of the the. I guess you would call them classics at this point, and that's yeah. action without like military component to it. You do military stuff in it. You know, there's there's other things. Funny enough. And since it meshes with current events, there's a scene in Terminator 2 where they're talking about how Judgment Day, when Judgment Day happens, Skynet launches the nukes at Russia, Russia launches the nukes at uh, the United States in a retaliatory strike. They had to throw in Edward Furlong, John Connor, they had to throw in a line for him because the so the wall fell during filming of that movie. And so Edward Furlong has one throwaway line that they just had to add to the movie where they say it, where he says, uh, well, the Russians, aren't they our friends now? I thought they were our friends now or something like that. So it's just kind of funny how here we are. Oh shit. 32 years later. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's get, I want to talk about that for a second, man. Sure. So like Russia's big, bro. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, you can already tell with an opening line like that, like how absolutely ignorant I am to geopolitics. But sure, Russia's a big landmass. And I know that a lot of it isn't like heavily, densely populated, uh, especially like Siberia, you know, um, shit like that. But that being said, I there's a lot of reports about, oh, Putin, uh, you know, like they got beat in Ukraine and like they couldn't, you know, take it. And like they're they're running out of equipment and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy any of that shit for a second. Oh, yeah, that's total bullshit. Um, right. Has to yeah. be right. There's a there's a fucked up meme that's uh, like, you know, it's this guy and he's smiling. He's grinning like like crazy. And uh, the caption is the look on Stalin's face when he realizes he has more men than the Germans have bullets. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. It's yeah. like they can, yeah. they can do this war of attrition thing and they will outlast Ukraine just simply because they have more people. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, it is a huge landmass, but like, I mean, it's kind of like a lot of the big libertarian podcasts talk about or whatever. I mean, Russia's got a GDP that's the size of like, 
I mean, pick a small European country, Italy, Spain, something like that. I mean, like when people think of Russia, they think of like the European part of Russia, like St. Petersburg and Moscow and stuff like that. But like most of the country is in Asia and, you know, it's, it's a huge country that's very sparsely populated, but they've still got way more people than Ukraine does, you know, but like the idea of, you know, just to counter the, the, the NATO, you know, U.S. propaganda, globalist propaganda here for a second, you know, the idea that like Russia is any threat to like, you know, control the entire world is a joke. I mean, it's just so like we're $30 trillion in debt. The United States is, you know, playing the world empire. And we think that a country that's like, you know, got basically the GDP of Florida or something like that is going to take over the fucking world. It's the same thing with China too. China is not a threat to to take over, you know, the world or anything like that. And that's not to say that I think that Ukraine should have been invaded. And that's not to say that I think Taiwan, which it looks like is a probably about to get invaded, like, you know, uh, I don't think that they should be invaded either. You know, I'm 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 a libertarian. I'm an anarchist. I don't believe that. Uh, you know, these governments should even exist in the first place. You know, I think the only, the only borders that should exist should be privatized and all that sort of stuff, you know, and uh, there's there, I've got biblical reasons for that one too, um, to an extent. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the idea that Russia is being beaten or that they, uh, you know, first of all, I don't recall Russia ever having a moment like they did with, uh, you know, Dick Cheney and the Iraqis where they said, uh, oh, we're just going to roll right through Iraq. We'll be in there for like, what, a week or two. And then, you know, whatever. Like, I don't think Putin ever said that about Ukraine or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, I think the only thing I've really heard that uh, one I kind of cheer on is this idea of like denazifying Ukraine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the Nazis suck still. For and sure. and the, the ones that are in, in Ukraine, the Azov battalions, the ones that the... Uh, you know, uh, Obama funded and Trump armed, um, you know, they're actually the direct descendants of Nazis, like the ones that invaded the region back during World War II. Bro, like, so. I, want, <laughs> I don't know how up you are on your World War II history. I love that shit. And like, I'm not a historian by any means, but I do know that Ukrainians, like, rolled over hard mm-hmm. for the Nazis oh, yeah. and like did absolutely horrific shit to their own countrymen. I'm talking their neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, just because they were given authority by the Nazis. They were like, Hey, listen, you need to round these people up. And, uh, dude, I mean, it's, it's fucked up. The documentaries that I've seen, like there's been a couple of times that they've actually interviewed or, you know, these were obviously years ago, but they right. interviewed living people who actually murdered their countrymen on behalf of the Nazis. Yeah. You know, they weren't tried. They no. were just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, hey, it's a, a, it's a fucked up situation. Ukraine yeah. is a fucked up country. And I'm, and, and look, this isn't to say that every Ukrainian's a freaking Nazi. I mean, that's bullshit. That's like, Right. I, I don't I I think people have gotten so used into this sort of like binary thinking where there aren't like multiple shades of gray and stuff like that. Like, yeah, most Ukrainians are not fucking Nazis. However, there are actually groups of Nazis in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, if those people are 
if that people group is at war with Russia and they get taken out by Russian troops, like, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I, I do think like any loss of human life is, is tragic, of course, but like, I don't know. I mean, they're Nazis. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe, maybe they shouldn't be Nazis, you know, in, in the year 2022. Who knows? They might get canceled oh, or something like that, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> so, um, you know, but Putin's an asshole for invading Ukraine. And Without Ukraine, a doubt. Yeah. Ukraine's a, uh, you know, the, there's, there are some Ukrainians out there that are assholes for, I mean, I guess they've got a long, rich history of selling out their country. Uh, you know, because Ukraine is probably easily the most corrupt country in all of Europe. And that's why our government was able to to use it as a, you know, a staging ground to, to money launder all kinds of stuff for, you know, not just Biden, but like, I mean, people on both sides of the political aisle, I'm sure Republicans, Democrats, you know, like the the the, the duopoly, uh, the 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 uniparty, whatever you want to call it. I mean, like all of them are, you know, that they've they've used that as a, a place to do it. And you know, now it's become a money laundering scheme for all the defense contractors and everything, because uh, all the money that they talk about that's going to Ukraine, to, you know, to free Ukraine and make it a, a you know, to keep it, a, protect its democracy. Uh, you know, that's all going straight to like, you know, Boeing and Lockheed and, and, and all the other defense contractors and shit. I mean, like, you know, and then as soon as it lands on the ground, Russia blows it up because there's no way to actually bring it in country in a way that's like safe and sustainable. Yeah. So, and like, I don't know if you recall, but be right before this all started to kind of pop off, Boeing was on a nosedive. Like it was mm -hmm. not good. They had they had some really bad press that was happening. They, they started to have, Oh, I, I think it was their Supermax 737. One of those. Yeah. Uh, was like falling out of the sky and they kept covering it up and kept those planes in the air. And like people died, man, as a result of like that, uh -huh. that was starting to, to gain some traction. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ukraine pops off and that stuff isn't in the papers anymore. We're not hearing about that. Yeah, that's because they have a blank blank check from you know the U.S. taxpayer, yeah, dude. Like they're golden now, you know. Um, oh yeah. I, I mean, they own how many politicians? Like you know, all like, of hey, <laughs> Start a war. Start talking trash about Russia. You know, yeah. send some CIA agents out there to to help them, like you know, give intel to to the Ukrainians and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole thing's a fucking mess. Um, you know, what do you, uh, what do you make of this shit happening in China today? Did you hear about that? Uh, I haven't, I'm not the most up to date on, on China. The last thing I was really paying attention to Nancy was Nancy Pelosi's trip out to Taiwan. And I was kind of hoping she would just stay there, but, uh, they didn't want her either. So they sent her back. Um, <laughs> one it. last thing, I, there's one last thing I do want to talk about that, that is terrifying to me. Uh, okay. Because of, uh, you know, regarding Russia, which is the latest statement by Putin about we will use any and all uh, means to defend the integrity of Russia, motherland, blah, 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 which yeah. means nuclear. And that's the implied threat behind it. And and as again, as somebody that grew up, you know, uh, thinking about I mean, like. Seriously, I wrote a book and in a fictional story, what's the major threat? It's the fact that nuclear, you know, that's been hamstrung by regulatory hurdles, like kills us all. And like, 
Terminator 2 was my favorite movie as a child, and that's a nuclear apocalypse thing. And Fallout's my favorite game, and you know, the Metal Gear Solid. So all this stuff that we've mentioned and talked about with nuclear, maybe you should name the episode something to do with that. But the idea of another country that has the second most nuclear weapons in the world uh threatening NATO with that, that that terrifies the fuck out of me. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something to legitimately be afraid of. And I think that, you know, anyone that listens to this, if if somebody happens to, you know, know anyone that that has any sort of say so whatsoever, which, you know, of course, is unlikely, but uh, you never know. Um, you know, I hope it doesn't fall on deaf ears like we should not be uh, the United States as a country. First of all, NATO shouldn't even exist. OK, it just shouldn't. It shouldn't have existed after the Berlin Wall fell. But. Uh, you know, for anyone that's listening, you know, this is me doing my part or whatever, you know, we have no business poking the bear of a country that has the second most nuclear weapons in, in, in the world. We just don't have any business doing that whatsoever. And, and, you know, for a libertarian podcast, you want to talk about the non-aggression principle here for a second. Uh, I don't think, uh, as much as I believe in private ownership of any and all weapons for the most part, nuclear is one thing that I don't necessarily think that, uh, governments let alone even private individuals should actually use it violates uh, and i think it was milton friedman that came up with this nuclear violates the non-aggression principle uh simply because there's no way to actually use one of those weapons without harming or or aggressing upon people that have no dog in whatever fight you're you know what i mean like yeah nuclear kills innocent people anytime it gets used you know it's only been used twice messed up story about that one nagasaki was an all christian yeah so this is this is something there's a podcast i listened to called um the anarcho-christian podcast and they actually had a an episode i think they either they either rebroadcasted it for the anniversary of nagasaki which was in august or or they they i'd listened to the original i'm working my way back through all their episodes but the nagasaki bomb was dropped by an all-Christian flight crew. It was dropped on a Sunday morning on Nagasaki, which had the highest population of Christians in the entire Japanese empire. Okay? And there were two targets that they could have picked in, in the city of Nagasaki. One of them was a naval shipyard or something like that, because, you know, back then they had to actually look at the ground to measure where they were dropping targets. You know, that's how they measured where they would drop the bomb. The other target was the biggest church in all of Japan. So an all Christian flight crew dropped the second nuclear bomb in history above a church on Sunday morning while it was in service with the biggest population of Christians in the entire country. Like it's fucked. It's completely fucked. You know, and these are the things that, that these are, it's, you got to sit there and really think about that for a minute, but like, that's, you know, nationalism for, for, for anyone out there that's like agnostic or atheist, or like, you know, you've got some serious resentments against Christianity or something like that. I would invite you to take a look at what Christianity actually looks like when it's not completely co-opted by the state. And I would argue that a lot of Christianity from, uh, the 20th century, starting around World War One, especially. I mean, it's you know, it's been co-opted by states for centuries uh, over the course of history. But like, you know, if you look at 
how Christianity has been like influenced over the centuries by various governments of history. Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly disgusting, you know, so as a spiritual path, as a, um, you know, a, a religion or something like that, it, it, it truly is a, a beautiful um, relationship with a higher power. In my humble opinion, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I make no, you know, apologies for it or anything like that. Um, but some of the most atrocious things in history have happened in the name of, of Christianity. And it's usually when a state actor of some kind gets a hold of it. And then it's used to justify some awful atrocity. Yeah. Um, so anyways, but on to China here for a second, I, I did get a kick of uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's make everything really heavy, suck all the air out of the room and then just move <laughs> on. So, so you mentioned China. Um, I think uh, there was something recently that I heard about where uh, President Biden um he was interviewed and he said we would absolutely come to Taiwan's defense. Yeah. And then they had to issue a statement like the white house issued a statement saying like, that is not the official policy of the U S government. Like, so I just get a kick out of the fact that the commander in chief of the country uh, says something. And then like, you know, his own government's just like, Oh, but he's got dementia. Don't listen to him. He's not serious. You know, but they have to pretend he actually is serious and that he doesn't have dementia. So it's just ridiculous. The whole thing's a reality show. You tell me, what's the latest scoop on China and Taiwan? Uh, so there is a rumor circulating currently that uh, Chinese President, what is it, uh, Xi Jinping is yeah, under, uh, yeah, under house arrest and he has been ousted. Um, oh, really? They're saying, I mean, they're and they're nothing confirmed. There's no major news outlets that are reporting on this. There's just a lot. There's been a lot of chatter for the last 16 hours about like 6,000 domestic flights were canceled and the entirety of the high speed rail system have been suspended in China um, and are around Beijing. Um, wow. So and it seems to be like everybody looking at the, like the flight maps and shit. Yeah, there's like almost no flights coming in or out of Beijing. So that's something interesting, you know, um, in terms of what we were talking about, kind of like nuclear cataclysm. Um, so the downside, you know, to something like that would be, you know, one world government taking a step closer because guaranteed if that were happening, that is 100% you know, um, us led or something, you know, CIA, NATO something, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we would at least forego the nuclear threat. So, I mean, there's a, it's kind of a catch 22, whether or not it's even true. Nobody knows. Um, I haven't seen anything confirmed or denied from an official capacity. So is this coming out of the corporate press or is this like no Alex this is Jones just or something or what? no this is just a bunch of twitter accounts man uh, a bunch of people are talking about it currently so the corporate press hasn't mentioned anything about this at all cnn fox any of this stuff correct the uh the most official account that i've seen tweet something about it <clears throat> is wall street St silver and it's like the wall street bets you know subreddit oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah. kind of twitter account but they yeah, said the guys. Yeah, yeah, those guys. 
Uh, said Beijing cancels over 6,000 domestic international flights and suspends rail service. Reasons not known yet. I'm going to have to look into this. I'm, uh, I'm not uh, on the up and up on it. Um, again, I get a lot of my news from the Ron Paul Liberty Report. They were just uh, covering some other stuff over the past week. I'm sure this will come up on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So yeah, my thinking immediately is right along the same, you know, parallel. Uh, there are people within China's government probably that do have ties to the world economic forum and, uh, it was made very profitable for them to, to put him under house arrest. If any of that stuff is true, yeah. um, because he's on the, you know, he was on the verge of, uh, invading Taiwan and that would upset the global order. Um, China doesn't need to invade Taiwan if Taiwan and China are both on the same side of, you know, the globalists, basically. Yep. So one way to do that. And China's got a weird way of just disappearing people. The Chinese government is incredibly creepy. Um, there was the uh, president of Wayfair. Or not Wayfair. Uh, crap. What was it called? Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah. Which that was their version guy. of. Yeah. That, that guy, like, they just disappeared that dude. Yeah, like he just ran gone. gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so like you know, I uh, that's uh, that's kind of frightening. I'm gonna have to look into that some more. Fuck and, yeah, uh, man! How can you? How could you have that much money and not have protection from your own government? Well, you know, I mean, governments are, yeah. yeah. You know, that's what they are. They're a monopoly on force. They're a monopoly on violence. I, I, you know. So even if you're the person in the country that has a monopoly on profit or cash or, or whatever it is, you know, if somebody else wants it and they've got a monopoly on force, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take it. Um, yeah. And it's, it really is almost like that, you know, the concept that, you know, mafioso types all flock to uh, government positions. Because oh yeah. They, without a doubt. I mean, there is, no doubt in my mind anymore that that is 100% the case. I mean, it's a, it is a group of people, you know, that are, they consolidate power. Like that's what they're sold. Like if you read, um, you know, Rothbard's anatomy of the state, I mean, that that's what they do is they just consolidate power. Yeah. They have perceived legitimacy and they have a monopoly on violence. And so it attracts all kinds of sociopaths and psychopaths and, you know, other miscreants and stuff like that. It, it, you know, I mean, it attracts the worst of the worst. Um, you know, recovery has taught me this. I am in charge of two things. I'm in charge of my attitude and I'm in charge of my actions. These are people that don't believe that. These are people that believe that they can control everyone and everything. Um, not all of them. Most people in the government are, I believe, well-intentioned. Um, I think some of them are easily manipulated. I think most people are fairly easily manipulated, uh, which is why we're in the, uh, you know, blue pill scenario that we're in with a lot of people, um, you know, and trying to wake them up and get them to take the red pill and get them to, you know, see things for how they are is like a very difficult task. But I think that, you know, um, the promise of, uh, you know, getting free stuff and like having your needs met and taken care of. I mean, that's very appealing. Yeah. Like, and, and this is the interesting thing about it. And I was having this conversation with my wife, who's not a libertarian at all. 
um, you know, and, 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 you know, we, we love each other and respect each other and everything like that. Um, and she knows that this is something that's very much at the core of my being, um, you know, but, um, crap, where was I going with that? I had something, um, I was talking with her yesterday or two days ago about this. And it's like, you know, with libertarians versus socialists, for example, libertarians and like socialists tend to agree on what a lot of the problems are. We just disagree on most of the solutions. Yeah. You know, yeah. our solutions tend to be based on free market, lack of government intervention, whereas their solutions think like, okay, this government is like, and these big corporations are clearly like super corrupt. Um, you know, so we need a bigger government to be able to like police itself. Like, and it's just, it doesn't work. You know, you're, you're, it's absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Which is why I think that philosophy of everybody, I think, I think leadership, you know, like, uh, like we, you know, I, I talk about this in the 12 strides and in the book. Um, and, and I think that, that it's, it's definitely a core tenant of recovery. Leadership is about service. Could you imagine if all of the people in political power in our country thought of, you know, governance the same way the local chairperson or the local lead at your 12 step meeting thinks of leadership. Like, could you imagine that if like they had a devotion to service purely for the spirit of service and like helping their fellow man. And I think a lot of people have been propagandized to believe that that's what government actually is. And that it really is much more noble than, than, than the reality. Right. Um, but, but could you imagine if all of these people, all these elected officials and everything like that actually believed in the tenets of service? Could you imagine if they actually believed in their oaths of office? Uh, you know, I mean, like, Hey, I'm, I'm an ANCAP or whatever, but, uh, quite frankly, if, you know, we land on like Mincapistan or, you know, classical Libistan or whatever you want to call it, like, I mean, like I'm, I'm, that's much better than where we are today. So, yeah, but yeah, China's government is creepy as fuck. And that just terrifies me what you just said, but, uh, who knows? Maybe that means, uh, Taiwan won't get invaded. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, far be it for me to be able to call it, um, mm -hmm. but I just, <laughs> the world government of the group, I mean, either which way, it's all a bunch of assholes, right? Like, sure. the current president of China, he's a piece of shit. I mean, they're, but the people who would be taken over from it are a piece, it, it's the upper upper echelons of society that you that don't know about you or me or care about you or me all vying for that power seat. And so... Yeah, the best, the very best possibility for any of us is that they play cloak and dagger so much that they actually, you know, exterminate each other. But that's, uh, we, we would never be so lucky. There's always going to be one jackass that stays on top. Dear God, uh, if only it was just, uh, yeah, if they could all just take each other out without taking out the rest of us. If they had like them. one of those big eyes wide shut type parties and like all got together and then somebody spiked the punch bowl with, you know, fucking cyanide, and then they go out. Like, what? Remember what was that uh, cult out there in California that wore the Keds? Ah, oh, fuck, man. Were they the ones with the? There's the comet, and yeah, Haley Bob Comet, Hail yeah. Bob Comet, or whatever. Yeah, I, I know about that. Yeah, uh, man, Heaven's yeah. Gate. 
Heaven's, Heaven's Gate. Gate. Mm -hmm. If they could go out Heaven's Gate style, that I mean, just imagine how the rest of us would would be. Yeah, I mean, mm. you know, I, I think that uh, you know your average person, you know, um, which I do, I do still think to in in some ways, you know, you or I is quote unquote the average person, you know, even though we're libertarians, even though we we are kind of red pilled to a lot of this stuff, yeah, um, you know, wants to be able to care for their family. The average person wants to be able to work a job that they have somewhat, you know. They, they feel is satisfying to some extent and wants to be able to like be of service and like help other people. Like, I think that those are like healthy, normal things that people actually want in their day-to-day -day lives. They want to be fulfilled. Like if you ever, you know, Abraham Maslow and the hierarchy of needs pyramid, I think most people out there, normal people, want to reach self-actualization by the end of their life where they can look back on their life and say, I lived a full and complete life. I was, you know, I was an important part of my community. I was able to, you know, people didn't have bad things to say about me. I was able to help others. I was able to, you know, I, I really got out there and got to experience everything. And, and like, I am completely satisfied with the way my life turned out. Like, I think most people want self-actualization like that. And I think that's absolutely attainable um, for, for the majority of people, but like, it's not easy. I don't think it's possible for people to get there, you know, so long as they continue to be like brainwashed and propagandized into, you know, believing the multitude of all this other crap that, that, that seems to be going on. I think, uh, I think people are, they're being led astray down a very dark path and they don't really realize what it is that, you know, is, is going on with that. And, you know, I think people fall into patterns much the same way that addicts and alcoholics do with that sort of stuff. And so, you know, what ends up happening with family systems and stuff like that, you know, people start hating each other and like you have siblings and parents and kids that never end up talking with each other again because they have different political beliefs and like, you know, all this, you know, other stuff. And like, I think a lot of that's very deliberate. You know, families splitting up intentionally to, you know, um, you know, just sort of destroy communities and, and cultures and stuff like that. Like, I think some of that's very much deliberate. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. I mean, that's neither, that's neither here nor there necessarily. I mean, I, um, I'll put it to you this way. I love my parents. I don't want my kid or you know, future kids growing up in the same kind of household that, that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, for being a first generation American, it was a lot of East meets West stuff. Um, you know, I was a totally rugged individualist growing up. My, my family is very much collectivist. Um, and there was a lot of that. Th those two things weren't necessarily problems. The problem was the conflict that arose out of that and how the, the families like, you know, um, how my family like pretty much dealt with it, you know, and in my family, uh, we didn't really talk about it or anything like that. And the, the reality is this, all family systems are dysfunctional. They're all dysfunctional. The level of dysfunction solely depends on the level of transparency family members are willing to have with each other. And if they're willing to work on what their issues are and yeah. if, 
you know, and if they're not willing to work on that stuff, then, you know, whatever. I mean, then again, I've got a nine month old. So what the hell do I know? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you in 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I don't think any of us ever have all the answers, man. I mean, I think that's kind of like the plight of humanity is that we do the best we can with the information that we've been able to take in in our lifetimes. But I mean, I, you can live to a hundred years old and you still won't have it all figured out and you still won't think exactly the way that your parents thought or anybody else thought you'll just have your own experience. And I think, and I'm going to get kind of like, um, you know, philosophical here with it, but I think that that understanding that and being able to have that well-equipped in your mind and approach your day with that logic and being able to afford other people the same, we could avoid a lot of the issues that we fall into as a society. I mean, you look on both the, the, the socially left and socially right, you know, people, if, if they would just allow the grace for somebody else to just live their life the way that they, you know, see fit, we would eliminate a lot of these issues, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that they would, so long as they understood that, okay, that person has had life experiences that have led them to where they're at, what they are doing, they believe is right. You know, sure. Mm -hmm. where that starts to get fucked up is whenever children get involved. Right. And let's, mm -hmm. I'm really getting off the fucking deep end here and I don't know if I should or not. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go too far, but I'm just going to say when you bring kids into your radical ideology, um, you and I both probably know what that means. We've seen it. Mm -hmm. It's not, yeah, good. absolutely. It's not fucking good. It's not fucking okay. Let kids be kids. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, it, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm with you there. And, 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 um, you know, I, uh, I guess, uh, you know, um, child abuse is still child abuse these days. It's, it's yeah. interesting. It's, um, you know, if you go back, I was thinking about this and this is, this is funny. So I think we, we, we did address some of the, uh, uh, messaging of the certain state affiliates and the LP and everything earlier today or whatever. It's like, you know, if you go back 10, 15 years, if you wanted to call somebody something that no one would ever rise up to their defense, you would call them a pedophile, right? Yeah. And regardless of whether or not that was true, no one was ever going to like rise up and like, you know, uh, uh, to, to that person's defense. Now, that is something that we're starting to see become defensible to some extent. Uh, by certain groups of the world. And what are those groups of the world calling people? Racists, homophobes, transphobes, ableists. You know, so a lot of this culture war stuff is like, you know, it's and, and now it's like if you're called that thing, you know, you are silenced. You know, you, no one is going to rise to your defense. Like if you're, you know, being called uh, a, a racist or something like that, you know, and I mean, you know, truth be told, like actual racists, like, you know, hey, I, I kind of agree with that. I think the idea of, you know, racism is disgusting, you know, yeah. and, 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 and any of these other like comments about like, you know, discriminating against people for like whatever reason. I mean, my thing is, you know, go live your life and do whatever you want. Just don't force it on me and don't do anything that's hurting other people, of course. For sure you know, doesn't necessarily mean I agree with you or your lifestyle or anything like that. I, it just means that like, I 
you know, I don't think you should, uh, I don't think that you should be like taken out by the freaking mob, you know, of people with their pitchforks and torches just because like you, you, you live differently in some way or some form or fashion, whether it's something that you can or can't control, Yeah, you know, um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of my two cents for sure. You know, but, but kids are, kids are vulnerable. Like, and I, I, you know, this is, this is something that's come up recently. And like, you know, when I was, I think 19 is the most dangerous age of, of anyone's life. Uh, like you've been yeah, an adult for, for a year sure. and you actually think, you know, something when you don't, yes. my best friend died of an overdose when we were 19 years old. And, and, uh, you know, I've had some, I've had some interesting realizations about that there's some of that in the book by the way too if you get to the the um some of the strides that deal with uh taking inventory and doing amends and stuff like that i, I talk about some of that but um and how i dealt with you know um making amends to somebody who had passed away uh but uh you know 19 is the most dangerous age i think and, and like the human brain isn't even like fully formed until like 25. So I don't know where anybody gets this idea. It's like, okay, well, all teenagers are dumbasses, but at the same time, like for the kids, let's like, let the kids like do whatever it is that we think that they should do. And like, this extends to like the David Hogg types talking about gun control. It's like, okay, so we readily admit that like kids are fucking morons. Teenagers yeah. are morons. They don't know shit. They've got their heads up their ass. But let's like listen to the teenagers about how like, you know, climate change and and gun control and like a variety of other cultural social issues that guess what? 10 years from now, when they're not corporate sponsored, no one's going to care about it and they're going to forget about it. Like a lot of this stuff, uh, the white hot culture war stuff going on in, in, in the United States and around the world and has become our second biggest export behind, besides the U S petrodollar. Uh, that's, uh, that stuff is going to fizzle out sooner or later. And, and, and I think that, uh, not everyone's, a lot of people are from around the world just really aren't buying that shit, but you know, whatever to each their own. I mean, it's, it's not something that I want, uh, you know, necessarily in my family and like i don't know we'll see my wife doesn't necessarily agree with me all the time about that but you know how many people again are just this is just in general this isn't even pertaining to to you know my family specifically but how many people out there disagree with stuff and they're just scared to speak up because they don't want to be ostracized or shamed or, or yeah. whatever, you know? And so people are just silenced by not saying anything. I have tons of stuff that I want to say all the time that I never say, you know, because <laughs> of that, so. same, bro. Same. yeah. Same. I, I mean, like, you know, I mean, and you and I, so like we, we are in the unique position to yeah. work in a field that demands political correctness at every given moment um you know this is true and and so we, we are in that unique position of having to really <laughs> examine the shit we're gonna say in our head before it passes our lips you know um well i don't know if i've ever told you about this and some people might think i'm joking when i say this but when the other staff isn't looking i teach all the good addicts austrian economics nice yeah nice. i'm i'm not kidding i actually just recently had uh 
uh, one of them just got a copy of uh, Anatomy of the State, uh, and another one got uh, Henry Hazlitt. Uh, gosh, what's that movie? Everyone, uh, the the book everyone recommends, Economics in One Lesson or whatever. Yes. So, like, whenever we, whenever we're doing quote unquote personal finance group for recovery, you know, I end up throwing in a bunch of Austrian economics in there and no one knows the difference. Cause, cause realistically it's like, if you actually live your life based on, on that and you like treat your personal finance like that way, then guess what? You actually do end up like, you know, saving a lot of money and being very good with money and like having stuff for a rainy day instead of like living paycheck to paycheck. Like, they yeah. want the majority of America to live basically. So yeah, man, you know, I, I teach them stuff like financial responsibility and, and all that. Fuck. Yeah. Um, well, man, um, listen, what else is, did you cover what you wanted to cover? Is there anything else? I have one final thing that I would like to say and, okay. uh, and talk about, um, a couple of things really, really quick. Um, so about the book, 12 Strides and 12 Norms for Liberty and Recovery. Again, it's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get an e-reader version. I think if you've got Prime, you might be able to get it for free. If not, you can get a paperback copy. Uh, you know, um, I started writing the sequel. And, um, you know, it's just going to be a sequel to the fictional story that's the last third of the book. Um, you know, it's uh, the 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 last story, the story in the book was a farewell to the state. The sequel will be called uh, postmortem of the state. So I'm doing a, you know, a Rothbard theme there. Need to come up with a name for the third book. Cause I am planning on writing a third book. I don't think I can cover everything I want to cover, but I, I started writing earlier this week and, and I don't know who's going to publish it or where it's going to be published. So if you're listening to this and you have a libertarian uh, publishing company and, you know, you're interested. I'm in the market for it. Uh, you know, if somebody from Champion Books happens to be reading this, please, 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 please get a hold of me. And uh, that way we can talk about uh, maybe doing a second edition of the first book and correcting all the typos and the missing page numbers and all the other stuff. I mean, the, the content and subject matter in there is good, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I would love to hear from my publishing company. I kind of wish it hadn't come down to after months and months and months. I wish it hadn't come down to me talking about it on a podcast very publicly like this. But, you know, I haven't been yeah, able I mean, to get it's, anyone it's a dog shit move on their part. I'll, just, I'll say that, dude. Like, that's not OK. That's yeah. Not okay. I, I, I mean, you know, and here's my here's my attitude on it. It's like I'm trying to be just humble. Like I'm a guy who's never written a book before and I wrote a book for the first time. And, uh, you know, I mean, I remember throughout the writing process, like I, I reached out to you and I was like, who do you know? Who can you put me in touch with to, to try to do this? I don't know anything about writing a book. And, you know, like we tried reaching out to Scott Horton and, you know, Spike Cohen and like a few other people and everything like that. And it's like, you know, I mean, if there's anyone that's out there listening to this and you're looking for, for a guy who, is not a professional writer, but is pretty good at wordsmithing and, and knows a thing or two about, you know, uh, the subject matter that he's writing about, like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I am interested in, in doing further publishing at some point. And if anyone out there with being libertarian or champion books is listening to this, please get in touch with me ASAP so we can like rectify this. And I will come up with drew and do a totally another episode talking about, Hey, you know, somebody, 
finally got in touch with me and maybe there was just a misunderstanding somehow or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, I will, I will clear the air on that. Um, you know, make good by your promise and the contract that we signed would be my thing, you know, and yeah. hey, we're libertarians. We're real big on contracts, you know? Yeah. And so when I signed my name to the dotted line for a company that was, you know, libertarian, quote unquote, whatever the hell that means to them, I guess, you know, like I'm thinking like, okay, this is better than me just going the Amazon publishing route because I am helping the cause. I'm helping other libertarians that are running a small business and trying to get a message of liberty out there and da, 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 da. Like there were other places I could have gone to. I chose to go with a place that was pro-libertarian and I will do it again in a heartbeat, either for champion books or whoever else it is. But I, you know, somebody could champion, please get a hold of me again. <laughs> yeah. You've got, you've got to actually do what you say you're going to do. You know what I mean? Pretty like, much. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that that's, that's it. You know, Hey, read the book. I put it in the book, you know, actually, you know, having, have, uh, be consistent, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, I guess the one last thing that I would close out on is just simply this. Um, if any of your audience is new to recovery and you're struggling and everything, um, you know, um, recovery is possible, you know, quitting drinking and drugging is just the foundation. And then, uh, you know, the recovery process, uh, the 12 steps or the 12 strides, you know, if you want to read my book and, and, and use that to help you. I mean, I, I definitely recommend the AA big book or the NA basic text or hell, even marijuana anonymous. They have a book called life with hope, that's absolutely amazing. It was, it was written by a bunch of stoners with PhDs, you know, use that 12 step literature and, and, and the fellowship to, to get sober, you know, get yourself a sponsor and work the steps with them and try to be a service and and help others you know practice what we try to preach what i try to preach here uh, but i wrote a book that combines libertarian and 12-step philosophy so if none of that other stuff is working for you maybe my book will maybe it'll help save some lives i don't know for so sure man. that's why i wrote it Fuck yeah well man i love you to death brother you're good love you too drew you've got a um beautiful family you're, you're doing big things and, um, you're, you're absolutely somebody that I'm so glad that, that we crossed paths, man. And, uh, I know I don't have, I'm not putting out a whole lot of content right now, but you know, fucking anytime you need to come on, man, just holler. Yeah. Thank you, Drew. I love you, man. I really do appreciate that. And, uh, I know that we'll talk very soon for sure, man. All right. Have a good one. You too. Good night. All right, there you go. Thanks a lot, Ash, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Um, check the show notes because I'll have a link for the book, you know, in the show notes. I mean, the the money will hopefully get to him eventually for the book and the man could absolutely use it. You know, he's a new father. Um, he's doing great things, mighty things in his own neck of the woods. But um, a few extra bucks goes a long way, especially when you got a young family that you're trying to look after. So uh, absolutely check it out. Um, you know, and follow up with them. And anyways, thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in. I love each and every one of you. I hope that you're out there and you're staying safe and you're just finding that thing that you're passionate about in your life. Um, I, I do want to also plug something real quick. So, you know, I have been on this weight loss uh, transformation journey and my damn dogs are being assholes, but uh, forgive me. But so I've been, I've been, Probably since I got real serious when we got back from the uh, national convention, you know, and I've really 
dug my heels in and I've made it a habit at this point. Like every morning I'm waking up at 4 a.m., going to the gym or I'm walking, doing some cardio and, you know, eating right. Uh, and, you know, I'll cut loose on the weekends a little bit, but, you know, I'm still being mindful of uh, the food that I'm putting into my body and the output of, you know, from the calories I put in and the calories I burn. But uh, there, there is one person, and you guys know him, Jake Howard. He's been on the show. Jake is a uh, fitness coach by trade. Like the man is wonderful. He's approachable. He is so incredibly knowledgeable. Um, and if you are interested in, you know, kind of having somebody, you know, who from a distance can kind of walk you through uh, a diet, walk you through a workout routine, um, Jake has a Patreon that he set up. I mean, it's all like the top tier is only like 15 bucks a month. This dude has so much information and it's, it's digestible. You know, I, I don't know if, if you're anything like me, you've probably, like when I started, I didn't know shit about fitness and I still, I, man, like what I know is incredibly minute compared to what, you know, I think the majority of gym goers have. But, um, especially in the beginning, I was very, very, you know, intimidated to even go to the free weight section or to um, do any of the things that other people like seemingly felt comfortable doing in a gym. So having somebody who can kind of guide you and, and field some of those insane goddamn questions that we get in our head whenever we're first starting out is a, is a massive thing. And at 15 bucks a month, I mean, my God, you want to talk about the deal of the century, like absolutely go check them out. Um, it's at H-A-K-E-J-O-W-A-R-D, at Hake Joward on Twitter. And, uh, you know, he's got all of his links for his Patreon and he's just a good dude, man. And that's another part of my extended recovery family. And um, I don't know, man, it's... Uh, I got a lot of respect and admiration for him because he's really gotten me through some fucking tough times with this deal. But at this point, I feel like it's a habit, you know, like I, I've kind of carved out a new lifestyle for me. The trick will be to carry this into the winter months, um, but I believe I'll do it. And uh, so, yeah, anyways, guys, if please go check them out, give them a like and uh, we'll roll right into the song of the day. And I've played this song before. I know I have. You know, um, this is Jesse Stewart, and I'd also talked on the show about how, you know, Jesse overdosed and died, you know, some time back. But, um, you know, given the work that I'm doing, I don't know. I felt like playing it again. And especially because, like, as of right now, when I'm recording this, there is not another podcast interview scheduled. It won't stay that way. We will get another one in there, but it's just, you know, it's just not there right now. Uh, and that's okay, but I don't know, man. I like this song. I wanted you guys to hear it again. So uh, anyways, I love you. Uh, stay safe out there. Be good to yourselves. Be good to your neighbor. And go out there and make your community 1% better. I don't care how you do it. Just make it 1% better. You know, let's all do that. All right, guys. We will see you soon. I promise.
Yeah. 